The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. I am back. Here we are at the start of a new month. You're either making the final push in your league for the playoffs, maybe you're solidifying your seating, or maybe you're like me and you're building towards next season. I know it's been a couple of weeks since our crossover MLB draft preview episode uh, on the dugout. Study Hall feed with Alexander Chase. Shout out to Alex. Had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, he actually sent me a couple texts as the first round was happening um, to let me know a few of my quote-unquote predictions were working out. Um, if you did not have a chance to listen to that, I strongly suggest that you go back and listen. Um, that was that was a lot of fun to, to prepare for and to do. So, again, shout out to, to Alexander Chase and the guys over at Dugout Study Hall. Today, we're actually going to continue our Stock Up, Stock Down series. We're concentrating on the AL Central. But first, we have a lot of ground to cover with Prospect Rundown. A number of significant debuts since the last rundown that we had a couple weeks ago. Uh, We'll get started in the NL West as David Villar, uh, third baseman for San Francisco Giants, made his debut Villar is really kind of a quintessential Giants hitting prospect. He was a bit older for the level last year at Double A Richmond. He tore it up to the tune of a 275, 374, 507 triple slash, had 20 home runs, Uh, was really strong for the Flying Squirrels. And this season, he was promoted to Triple A Sacramento um, and really continued to be quite strong uh, in the on base and power categories enough to get promoted to the big leagues. And so far he's played in uh, 19 games, I believe as of last night or the night before Um, he's hit one home run, but something uh, that I think is, is important to note. He has 11 walks against just the 23 strikeouts in 67 plate appearances. So uh, OBP managers definitely take note. Uh, We've seen Tyro Estrada, um, Luis Gonzalez carve out playing time with the giants. They don't mind the slightly older prospect, especially one that has positional flexibility in Villar. He can play third. I believe he's played some uh, outfield as well, some corner outfield spots as well. So they definitely uh, don't mind having a guy who's might be 25, 26 before he start 
to really make his major league debut and somebody that they can move around, um, especially if he's shown the ability um, to be to be good enough in, in categories. So a guy like Estrada, Gonzalez, both of them, um, we've seen they're they're not um, super plus players as far as any one particular category, but they do enough as far as being able to play defense. So they're never zeros defensively, and Villar fits that uh, mode as well. And being able to do enough as far as getting on base. Um, Estrada, I know, can steal some bases for you. has a bit of pop. Gonzalez, a little bit of pop as well. And Villar, like I said before, has shown the ability to hit the long ball. So um, he's a good bench bat. Uh, David Villar is a good bench bat to keep an eye on. I definitely could see him finding himself collecting three to 400 ABs um, in the 2023 season as the Giants have continued to uh, mix and match as their veterans are continuing to age. They're in and out of the lineup. Previously, they were saying that they weren't going to be sellers. Now it sounds like as we get closer to the trade deadline, they are looking at some offers for Rodon and Peterson. So if they are starting to maybe look at retooling uh, their team, this is the type of guy that at least needs to fill that gap until they have the next um, great third baseman who very well could be a Marco Luciano or somebody of that caliber. So, you know, he is finding himself in a very good position to get the at-bats to show some value, if not uh, in real life, if not for the Giants, then for another team down the road. For you in the fantasy standpoint, that's all you need to to um, see from him is getting those everyday at-bats. That gives you enough time to evaluate the type of player he's going to be and how he's going to fit into your lineup. Again, I don't think he's going to be incredible as far as an on-base percentage or from a batting uh, average. But again, as a bench bat, I think he'll be good enough. I think he'll be um, above replacement what you would find on your waiver wire, especially if you're in like that 14-teamer or higher. I think he'll pass mustard as need to roster versus letting him go uh, and hang out on the wire. So David Villar, name to know. Moving on uh, to Boston, Brian uh, Bello made his long-awaited debut. Uh, he found he's he's finding out the hard way that major league hitters are much tougher to strike out than minor leaguers. Uh, so far, he's given up 16 earned runs in 16 in the third innings pitched with 13 Ks. Only one start where he's had less than three walks and right now a 9% swing strike rate. If you're a Bellow manager um, and somebody that's been waiting for his arrival because he had really good numbers this season uh, at AAA and, and great numbers that really boosted him um, up rankings last season while he was in uh, AA especially. And, and so if you've been waiting for his arrival, you have him on your roster, I wouldn't panic. Uh, he may be someone that you might want to um, stash in your minors if your league rules allow for that. Um, or if they don't allow for that, then you might want to keep him on your bench uh, unless you see a really favorable matchup against a really weak offense to finish out this season. Uh, I would say look for improvements going into spring training of 2023 where he's gotten you know full all season with the major league team uh, so they can kind of point out some things they want him to work on. Uh, and then going into spring training where he can kind of get a full ramp up into a major league season, that's really where uh, I like to take a look at players, especially young players, and seeing what they're what they're tweaking, what they're working on, how they're looking, how the teams are trotting them out there to see, you know, how the teams are valuing them. So it's important to know that Red Sox don't really have much in terms of pitchers to prevent Bello from remaining in the rotation. Uh, we know they they 
they've been um, desperate for pitching really throughout this entire season. And I don't see that necessarily changing going into next year, unless uh, some of these major deals that they are being um, whispered to be a part of actually go down when it comes to uh, Devers or Bogarts or, you know, some of the various position players that they have, if they get somebody major back, um, then maybe, you know, Bello gets bumped out of the rotation or, or doesn't um, get as many uh, chances to start as we may be imagined. I don't necessarily see that being the case. So I think with Bello, it's like many young pitchers, you're just going to have to ride the wave and he's going to get a lot of on the job, uh, on the job training from start to start. And you're probably just going to have to be okay with it going into 2023. Uh, moving over to Cleveland, we had Nolan Jones finally make his debut. He's a fascinating case uh, and really is helping Cleveland look more and more like a really fun team from a dynasty aspect to watch for the next couple of years. We already know about Stephen Kwan um, and Andres Jimenez having just a, a great uh, all-star year. Uh, not necessarily out of nowhere, but I, I think his uh, development into being an all-star after some some less than uh, optimal seasons uh, probably caught some some managers by surprise in a positive sense. Um, so you have quite a few different young uh, Cleveland Guardians that are popping up, and now you have Nolan Jones finally making his debut. He was highly rated going into uh, 2020, into that sort of pandemic year. Uh, 2021 had a bit of a nightmare of a 2021, 238 batting average. The on-base percentage was still quite good at 356, and that was buoyed uh, by his 14.5% walk rate, but the slugging was subpar at 431, and he additionally, even though he had that 14.5 walk rate, he had a 30% K rate. So a lot of bloom came off of the Nolan Jones rose um, when you look at a lot of rankings and what a lot of evaluators were saying at the time of 2021. But we get into 2022 and he does pretty much a 180 in his second go around at AAA Columbus. So this season he puts up a 311 batting average, 417 OBP, 500 slugging. The walk rate ticks up even more to 15.7 and the strikeout rate falls to still high, but definitely more manageable number at 26.9. So he makes his debut earlier in July, and in his first uh, 60 plate appearances, he's hit two home runs, he has five doubles, and he has a 383 OBP. Big power was always part of Jones' game, especially when you look at his build, 364, I think, actually. He's built at, um, started, uh, came up as a third baseman, it's pretty much converted just about full time to being a left fielder now. Uh, his defense just, uh, he had the arm, I think, for third base, just not necessarily the footwork. So they started trotting him out in left field while he was in the minors the last couple of seasons. And that seems to be where he's going to stick. And, you know, not only does he have that big power, but if he's matured into being a more disciplined hitter that can work counts, strike out less, work more walks then he's definitely going to be able to push his way into more playing time, uh, especially seeing that Miles Straw has had a down year this season. It's possible that you have Cleveland moving Stephen Kwan to center field more because he definitely can play uh, center field defensively without any sort of problem. And then that opens up uh, left field for Jones to slide in as possibly their everyday left fielder uh, to finish out 2022 and definitely looking into 2023, what that roster construction is going to look like. So uh, it's not a hard fast. This is what's going to happen, but you can see 
the dominoes that could fall to make that happen uh, aren't, you know, aren't that far off. And if Jones continues to play at this level of being able to show again that pop, but also that plate discipline, he's going to make Cleveland make the tough decisions. And that's always what you want from a young prospect is for them to play well and make the team have to make a decision. That's really what Stephen Kwan did, uh, as we talked about from last season coming into this season is he played so well that he really made Cleveland have to call him up and he's paid off. Uh, he's, he obviously started off hot, cooled off some, but overall he's been a steady uh, presence offensively and defensively. Uh, he has great tools out there as far as speed, being able to get great reads that, like I said, moving Stephen Kwan from left to center, I don't think Cleveland loses anything. And if anything, they could possibly gain um, to be a better defensive team with him in center because he can cover ground, especially if you're going to have still giving some time to Reyes and uh, right field from time to time when he's not DHing. And then, like I said, have Nolan Jones in left, who is probably better left fielder than he was third baseman, but still um, not necessarily going to be a gold glove winner. So having somebody like Quan that can cover that much ground from uh, line to line is, is going to help you out as well. So some things to look out for in Cleveland, uh, especially around Nolan Jones. And then you have Estere Ruiz, who might be for the San Diego Padres, who might be the only non-pedigree prospect that comes close to being discussed on forums and Reddit and podcasts. Uh, by the dynasty community as much as Vinny Pasquatino. It's pretty much Vinny P and Ruiz or like the two over the past two seasons that I've seen just come up in almost every discussion of when is this guy going to get caught up? Why is he getting any more playing time? Look at the numbers he's putting up in double A AA or triple A um, as they were going up the ranks. Finally, he gets uh, his call up. Ruiz gets his call up um, after uh, really a scary injury to Jerson Profar. Profar has since come back. Uh, he had to go on the concussion protocol after collision uh, a few weeks ago. Um, that that looked really bad if you hadn't seen it. I wouldn't necessarily suggest to go seek it out, but um, Profar has come back. But that opened up uh, a spot at the time for Ruiz to be promoted. He's been okay. Um, he's only played in 13 games. He's stolen one base, and of course, that was a big part of his appeal was he had um, a to 60 stolen bases if I had that number correct off the top of my head um, and in the minor leagues so a lot of people are looking at Ruiz uh, power along with that great speed how's that going to play hasn't really gotten a chance to um, really rev up the engine so to speak as far as on the base pass he has yet to go deep bigger concern though is uh, if you're a Ruiz manager or you're looking for him to get more playing time, San Diego is anticipating the return of Fernando Tatis Jr. I don't know if you remember him. He's kind of a big deal. That cramps up their um, outfield some. And then, of course, we're still hearing whispers that the Padres might be one of the few teams with the ammo to swing a trade for Juan Soto. If you have Tatis in center, you have Soto in right all of a sudden you have to put Ruiz in left if he's going to be an everyday left fielder. And they already have some other guys, including Profar himself, that are getting some outfield time. So just not a lot of that bats to go around uh, in the outfield for Ruiz, especially considering he hasn't really made a huge splash as of yet. Um, I'll be honest. I thought his minor league stats, obviously they're, they're gaudy. They're nice to see. His player profile never really struck me as a player that I was interested that interested in going after in dynasty formats. I didn't think that he was actually going to be that big of a stone based threat 
it's kind of hard to explain. Obviously, you see a guy who has 60 stolen bases. How do you not think he's going to be that big of a stolen base threat? Really, I don't. I, I never thought that he was going to be the on-base presence enough to garner being able to be a solid 20-plus stolen base threat. As a bench bat, could he get 15, maybe up to 20? Maybe. Uh, maybe. But... The 20 plus that I think a lot of people were projecting, I just didn't see it. Still could happen. I 100% could be wrong, obviously, but I just, I, I, I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't going after him. I didn't see the power translating into being huge numbers, maybe in that 12 to 15 range um, for home runs at the major league level. I really just saw kind of a slightly above replacement level player that just didn't move me. That's a guy that I could probably scout and find on the wire for cheap rather than a guy like Ruiz whose stock was going and valuation was going through the roof. So if I didn't already have him on my roster, which I didn't on any of my teams, I would have to give up a lot to trade for him. And what I thought I was going to get back just didn't seem like that was going to be a smart move on my end. That's, that's me. I'm sure there's plenty of people right now disagreeing as they hear uh, my voice. For redraft folks, if there is no Soto trade for San Diego and San Diego carves out some more at-bats, then maybe he becomes a little bit more relevant for you as you're finishing up your season. Um, Again, to have a bench bat that maybe you can lean on to get ideally some steals, maybe some home runs. So I could definitely see a guy like that having some value for a redrafter because you're kind of just looking for some some folks to plug and play, especially if you're dealing with some injuries, if you're trying to, again, make a last push to – get that last playoff spot. Maybe if you're trying to jump from being, I don't know, let's say it's eight team playoff format and you're trying to jump from, you know, number seven to number five or four and it's tight. And you think maybe, you know, if you can just get some more at bats from some guys while you're dealing with injuries, maybe he's a guy that's out there that you could um, pick up and, and hopefully he can catch fire for you in the last uh, month and change as you go into the playoffs. But, uh, you know, for me, Ruiz, I have to see, I have to see more at the major league level for me to really be impressed. And then we have Nick Prado uh, for Kansas City. I've mentioned Vinny Pasquantino before. Prado obviously is the other first base prospect for Kansas City, had a much um, higher uh, pedigree. Uh, than Pasquantino, but lesser minor league production overall. And Prado's promotion was part of that replacement level event that the Royals uh, had to contend with as they traveled to Toronto due to a number of their everyday starters not being vaccinated. Um, so there was about four or five different minor leaguers that all um, made their debut, uh, essentially just to fill in the gaps for Kansas City, Prado being one of them. I like Prado uh, and at the risk of drawing the wrath the continued wrath of the prospect community after I just kind of dissed Ruiz. Um, I actually think I like Prado in the long term more than I like Pasquantino. And yes, I know people will always point to uh, Prado's 2019, which was a huge nightmare season for him. But I think he's shown the ability to improve, uh, especially after that lost 2020 season. And he's looked pretty good at the MLB level. He is sitting with one home run, three doubles. He has a 341 OBP in 13 games. The walk to strikeouts rate um, is 0.46. And that was obviously um, the strikeouts were obviously, obviously a big concern of his game, especially after 2019. 
the concerns for me right now are his fly ball rate, which is over 50%, and his pull rate, which is in the 60s. So those two things definitely need to regulate in a, in a more positive manner for me to feel even better. But I like Prado because I think his athleticism will allow him to move around more than Pasquantino. I think Pasquantino is first base only. And I think he has to hit a ton in order for him to have the the quote-unquote true uh and i don't like using that word but the sort of true value that you need from a first base only sort of player i think prado can play first as well as corner outfield spots and that sort of flexibility in in my book and i know not everybody agrees with this but in my book i can temper some of my uh expectations as far as offensively what a guy is going to give if i know hey i can move him around the lineup because to me that's that has its own sort of intrinsic value if i know i can put him at a couple different spots during a week um as i'm dealing with injuries or you know dropping guys or mixing and matching uh some maybe some other matchups that i have in my lineup if i know hey i don't have to completely lose a a, a bat because he only plays this one position, I can, hey, I can flip him, move him from first to right or um, first to left, and, and that'll work, or vice versa. That gives me some intrinsic value to um, any sort of player as well. So that's my feeling about Nick Prado. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him for Kansas City. And then we're going to finish up in Miami. We got Max Meyer, and really I, I was planning on putting him on uh, once I saw he made his debut, I was really excited, and, and obviously this is not uh, not worked out in his favor. Uh, this is where it pays to have pitching depth in your minors as the Marlins promoted Max Meyer, uh, who's their third, or who was the third, I should say, overall pick of 2020, and Meyer was able to make two starts for a grand total of six innings pitched, only to go down with a torn UCL, which means, you guessed it, Tommy John surgery is in his uh, very near future. And um, that's obviously just unfortunate to see young pitcher go down that soon. Um, neither start was uh, really that great for Meyer, but, you know, for a young pitcher, you just like the fact that he was able to to make his debut and you're hoping to see more of him, see him learn and mature and do all the things that we like to see young players do, especially young pitchers. Um, so it's just unfortunate that he's going to lose, obviously, the rest of this season, all of 2023, at least the, the majority of it. So he's behind developmentally there. Um, and then, of course, we always got to see, I think we take it for granted with Tommy John because of how frequent that surgery is and how many positive cases we've seen. I think we still take it for granted that a guy will have Tommy John be out for a year and then just kind of pick up where he left off. And everybody is different and everybody's body reacts differently when you talk about not just the injury, but also the surgery and the rehab as well. While we stay in Miami, on a positive note, they're actually waiting to get Edward Cabrera back from elbow tendonitis, uh, ideally within the next week from the reports that I've seen. And you still have Sixto Sanchez, who hasn't pitched in two years, if I have that number correct. So, I mean, injuries, definitely with pitchers, we hear it all the time, but injuries just in general, people's bodies react differently to the injury, to the surgery, to the rehab. It's not just one for one. So we're hoping, obviously, that the best case scenario works out for Max Meyer. Um, if you have him on your roster, you know, throw him on the IL spot, hope for the best. If you want to trade for him and be really, you know, really risky with taking that on, I don't know what that trade would look like. I don't know what you'd be giving him up. I don't know what 
somebody who has Maya right now in their roster, especially in the dynasty format, is going to give you, knowing that he's going to be out all of 2023, you could. Um, like I said, that, that's a risky move that could pay out for you in 2024, 2025. That's really playing the long game. I probably wouldn't advise doing that, but, you know, uh, to each his own. Uh, but while we finish up in Miami, we've talked about Meyer, a uh, little bit of um, Cabrera talk, and, and I'm curious to see him come back. Uh, we finish up with J.J. Blade, um, who finally made his major league debut. Uh, he's played in seven games. He has a home run, has a stolen base. Uh, we're already seeing the swing and miss part of his batter profile. Uh, as he struck out nine times in 27 plate appearances. So literally a third of his appearances have been in strikeouts. I mentioned the day before he's got serious power. He can probably get you around 10 stolen bases in a full season. I wouldn't be surprised, but I, in a batting average league, you got to really push him down valuation because he's probably never going to be more than a 240-ish type hitter at best. Um, so there's really going to be a drag on your batting average there, um, especially from an outfield perspective. You can probably find you would need to pair him with probably another outfielder uh, that has less power, but way higher batting average. And then as far as redraft managers, I'd probably wait until next season before I'm looking at taking Blade on just to see how the playing time in the Marlins outfield ends up being distributed. We know we they've uh, run out uh, Sanchez, uh, Jesus Sanchez. Obviously, they committed to. Abacel Garcia, which that hasn't worked out really in their favor at all this season. Um, they have Soler. So they have a lot of different parts as far as that outfield is concerned. Blade is really uh, a right fielder based on his arm. Obviously, he could play left, but right field is really um, his position of, of value. So if I'm in a redraft league, I probably just hold off on picking up Blade off the wire and just you know, I can wait until next season to really see, does he get a crack at, if not being a starter, at least being a, a left-hand bat that they rely on uh, prominently, which I don't know that he would be. With that being said, that's it for this week's Prospect Rundown. After- hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. The break, we'll jump into the AL Central with stock up. And we're back. Uh, so the AL Central is kind of an interesting place um, to look at as far as stock up and stock down because it's not the hotbed of high-end prospects like it was this time last season when we were waiting for the Riley Greens, the Spencer Torkelsons, the Bobby Wood Juniors, and the like. But there's still quite a few um, players that have improved their stock. Uh, some of them are 
already well known some of them may be less so uh depending on how knowledgeable you are and how deep your dynasty league is so uh as we get into it we're going to start with one of the higher end prospects and that's george valer of the cleveland guardians valer was already um, pretty much top 75 maybe even top 50 i guess depending on um the list that you're looking at and the timing um as far as prospect rankings coming into this season and I think he's really solidified his position and is likely to, to rise up rankings in the offseason. He split time between high and double A last year, and he picked up where he left off at double A Akron this year. He has 14 home runs, 16 doubles, and that goes with a triple slash of 267, 366, 476. And the concern when you look at uh, most of the scouting reports is swing and miss with him um, as an outf- uh, left-handed outfielder. Uh, big power, but also some concerns about how well he would be able to adjust um, to certain pitches and being able to to make contact. Personally, I don't think that he's going to be harmed too much by swing and miss. It, it'll be there. Um, he's sporting uh, around 25% K rate, so he's definitely not going to, to be a high batting average guy, but I think he'll be able to be well over 250 consistently and make enough contact and, and hard contact um, that I don't think you'll have to be concerned about the K rate being super duper high. Um, the power, like I've already said, is definitely legitimate. You look at the 14 home runs, 16 doubles. Um, I saw the Zips projection start to have him, and I know this isn't you know the end all be all, but they start to forecast him to easily be in able to get into 20s and then even to start tapping into the 30s in the next couple of seasons so I I definitely would would buy Valera as a power hitting outfielder doesn't do much as far as stealing bases but if you're talking about a guy that can get you around 260 is the batting average and definitely around you know 340 or better as the OBP if you're in OBP league and gets you 25 plus home runs that is definitely going to play um so He's also a, a good defender. He's able to stick in either left or right field. So we already talked about what the outfield situation looks like in Cleveland. He could kind of um, make that more of a mess in a positive sense as far as making Cleveland make some decisions. So I will look uh, at that. And um, his approach allows him to use off field as well. So he's not super pull heavy, um, even though obviously, uh, just like most young hitters, a lot of the power is going to come. Uh, from that pool side, um, I would expect to see him at Triple A Columbus, very possibly to end this season, um, just to get some some last few at bats and definitely to start twenty twenty three. And I would say by the the middle of twenty twenty three, if everything is positive, that's when you can actually start to see him, you know, possibly break into the the major league uh, roster for Cleveland, or I mean. You know, you never know with Cleveland if they want to get spicy and, and offer him in, in a trade. I think he would uh, net uh, a high, uh, high value MLB player if they were to dangle him out there. But um, by 2024, if he's healthy and if he stays right in this zone of where he is hitting wise, he's going to be a major league player in some way, shape or form. So most likely if you're in unless you're in a ridiculously shallow or ignorant <laughs> dynasty league Valera is definitely already off the board, but if you're targeting him, um, just know that you're, you're going to have to pay a pretty penny. Um, but I think it, it, it's, it's, he's one of the prospects that paying that amount 
could possibly work out in your favor. You know, definitely depending on the deal. I'm not saying just give up whatever for him, but uh, I think he's somebody who will, you know, uh, need a lot to get him off of a manager's team. But I think what you could be getting back will serve you and serve you for the long term. Uh, staying with the left-handed hitters, we're going to go to Chicago with the White Sox, and that's Colson Montgomery, who's a shortstop and third baseman. Uh, Montgomery has been uh, a welcome riser, uh, rising up the boards. I think the there were some question marks, especially as a, a prep bet, um, over how good of a hitter he could be at the major league level. I think people saw the potential, but was it all going to come together? And definitely seeing how fast it came together for him just in his second professional season, uh, he's posted a combined, uh, between low A and high A, combined triple slash 314, 424, 469. Um, and I would say he's at high A right now. I think there's an outside chance of him getting a few at-bats at double A Birmingham to finish up the season. If they don't, if they don't pr- promote him to double A uh, to finish the season, I definitely could see him uh, getting an assignment to start 2023 at double a um the biggest part of the season if you weren't already aware uh for montgomery was his 41 game on base streak it started uh at the middle end of may i want to say it was the 24th of may and it ended in early july and the numbers uh as far as during that streak um just obp uh, and I should have pulled the numbers, but the OBP was through the roof, um, spraying the ball all around. Even after that streak ended, though, something that I want to take a look at was after that streak ended, what has he done since? In the past 14 games, the batting average is, is down. It's at 231, but the OBP is still quite high. He's worked 11 walks against 10 strikeouts. And the questions that I have for Montgomery right now is, where is his future power projections? Um, he's combined for eight home runs between those two levels, 14 doubles, but he still has um, very tall athletic frame. I think it lends itself to continue to, to grow out um, and add more muscle to it. Uh, the swing itself, I think, is primed for a lot more line drive than loft. So I think that is where maybe the home run tur- uh, totals might get hurt. You could see him. Uh, if you're in a total base league like I am in one of my dynasty leagues, him being a doubles master still can bring you some value. But if you're in a more sort of conventional uh, categories or conventional dynasty league, you know, you're going to have to temper some expectations, I think, for the home run uh, total. But uh, I, I think he still is showing all the abilities very early to be a professional hitter, um, to be a very good one. Uh, that frame that I mentioned is also what led, uh, led most evaluators and scouts to assume that he'd move off of shortstop to become a third baseman. Um, but so far, he seems to be playing quite well at shortstop and might be able to stick there a little bit longer. So, again, having some uh, possible positional flexibility um, on the left side of the infield, I think, is, again, for me, just that much more helpful and that much more valuable uh, from a single player. Uh, so I don't know that he'll get to that 20 home run mark that you like to see from uh, a starting third baseman, but, and he doesn't steal bases. He, he, that's not really part of his game either. He's not particularly slow, but, um, he's just not a base stealing threat. So there's no value add there. So I think for OBP leagues, he might be a little bit more valuable than batting average ones, but 
overall, if he can consistently hit around 15 home runs, have that positional flexibility, then I think he's a, a good player to have on your roster, especially as such a young guy. Um, if he can break into the major leagues in the next couple of years, which, you know, he's on that sort of trajectory based on what he's done just this season, looking at uh, Chicago, they still have to figure out what to do with Mankata. I think he's continued to be a, a disappointment after having such a, a really good uh, 2019. It doesn't really look like he's going to get back to that point. That might be more of a blip than it was a step up for him. Um, so you have Mankata. Obviously, you're set with Tim Anderson, um, but you look around and, and there's probably some spots. Um, they still haven't really figured out second base. Uh, so there's still some spots that you could conceivably um, see Montgomery coming in to fill in in the next couple of uh, seasons if if he stays on, like I said, this sort of trajectory. Um, the fact that he can hit uh, so well, he can hit anywhere in the lineup. And so run production and run creation, that also can see a positive boost for his profile as well. So, I, like I said, I'm very happy to see um early returns on Colson Montgomery, eager to see him at the double A level to really see um, his game, you know, where his game is going to solidify, uh, especially when it comes to hitting is that approach and that line drive swing still going to be just as effective because if he can do it at double A level, then I think he'll be all set um, to continue that on to the major leagues. And our last stock up is, is kind of an unfortunate one because he's now done for the season and, and going to be done for 2023, most of it, if not all of it, uh, due to injury. And that's Emmanuel Rodriguez, a teenage outfielder for the Minnesota Twins. He tore his meniscus. And uh, like I said, he'll be out for the rest of this season and, and definitely for the majority of 2023. And that's going to impact his uh, development, but also his valuation because he was setting things on fire. Um, he's kind of done everything and more that you'd want, especially from a 19 year old prospect to do uh, to gain attention. Uh, he had a 2021 of complex ball that saw him put up 10 home runs and nine stolen bases in 37 games. This season, he gets assigned to low A Fort Myers and he puts up nine home runs and 11 stolen bases. So power and speed are right there. And that's in 47 games. He was able to bring down his K rate by more than 10% from 36.6 to 26%. So he's continuing to mature and learn um, as far as his um, approach and his plate discipline. So again, everything that you want to see, a uh, dynamic outfielder as well in center field and definitely would remain a center fielder based on um, his speed and his ability to get jumps on the ball uh, and his left-handed swing, not as line drive oriented as I would say uh, Colson Montgomery's is. Um, it's a little bit better primed to create backspin. So that's where you get those power numbers coming from. So hopefully he's able to obviously return um, to more full health coming back from that injury so we can continue to see him grow and, and especially tap into that power. But that's where the concern is. So much of his game, uh, both offensively and defensively, defensively is based on that fast twitch ability. So it's going to be super important to see how Emmanuel Rodriguez rehabs from the knee injury and from the surgery. Uh, and gets back under play. So this is a guy that was on a trajectory at the time where you could see 2025. 
him maybe knocking on the door. And now you probably have to add a year or so to that um, just because, again, that lost development time and him already being uh, in the lower minors to begin with. So with that, uh, unfortunately, on a down note, we have to continue on a down note as we move from risers to fallers. The first faller, I have to admit, that's this is more of a personal uh, preference. He's a guy that probably wasn't very high on most people's list um, to begin with. So as far as um, how far he's fallen, that's kind of all relative. Uh, but that's the uh, pitcher Peyton Battenfield for the Cleveland Guardians. And um, for me, I thought he was primed for uh, kind of a major breakout into the Cleveland rotation really for this season he was traded from Tampa Bay last season as part of um, Tampa kind of clearing up their 40-man crunch and uh, Cleveland ended up with their own 40-man crunch they were kind of swapping some guys around Um, uh, Tobias Myers was also part of this deal as well if you remember him he's now ended up in San Francisco and I figured Battenfield originally was uh, drafted and, and came up in the Houston Astros system for a couple of seasons. He went from there to Cleveland, or I'm sorry, from there to Tampa Bay, and then again from Tampa Bay to Cleveland. Three of some of the best pitching um, development franchises that we have. And I thought with Battenfield, his 2021 numbers combined between high and double A, he had a 28.7% K minus walk rate. Uh, 131 total strikeouts and 101 innings pitch. I thought he was definitely going to be a solid uh, back of the rotation guy, just really uh, a perfect fit for Cleveland on the back end of that rotation. And this season he was promoted to AAA, and it just it just hasn't shown up the same way. Some serious regression. The K rate itself is now sitting at 16.3%. Um, the strikeout stuff just isn't there at all. All the strikeout um, metrics are down. Uh, total strikeouts, K rate k minus walk rate all that has come way down from where it was last season um he does lead the minors last time i checked at least he does lead the minors in innings pitch so he does show the proclivity to go deep into games um in most of his starts uh but i still remember seeing him uh starting the double a championship uh game against Bowie last season and it was just a great performance ended up with 10 strikeouts I want to say seven innings pitch 10 strikeouts only one run and that was first inning home run that he gave up and then he was just under control uh so he may still be able to crack uh, a major league bullpen he's, he had is right at the right sort of developmental age uh 24 25 years old and again he's already at triple a I don't think there's really any much for him to add or learn or do from a minor league standpoint. I think right now it's just if you think he is going to be a player for you, then you just got to put him in, you know, uh, in the line of fire, so to speak. But again, that back in the rotation piece, being as strong as I thought he was going to be, maybe even being able to be, you know, uh, the the back part of a SP3 type, that sort of tier, I have to readjust my own expectations on that end. I don't think he's going to be that um, low leverage guy out of the bullpen. I think he can do spot starter, especially seeing um, how he's able to get through starts um, at the minor league level. I think he could be a spot starter and be okay, but just I don't think he's going to be necessarily the impact guy that I thought he was, uh, at least not right now. Now, who knows? We, we know Cleveland, again, they love to tweak and tanker. Um, so in another couple of years, maybe he gets to what I thought I was seeing from him last season. Maybe he taps into that again. 
But just for me, Peyton Battenfield uh, is one of those prospects that uh, better on paper than maybe he ends up being in uh, in fantasy or in real life. The next uh, player is another pitcher as well. And, and spoiler alert, all of the fallers here are all pitching related. Uh, this is Simeon Woods Richardson of the Minnesota Twins. Woods Richardson, of course, was part of the Jose Barrios trade. Um, with Toronto last year, former top 100 prospect for Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, uh, somebody that was really thought highly of. But with Toronto, and definitely since he's come to Minnesota, just really hasn't been able to show some of the same traits that were getting him uh, that high rating uh, in 2018 and 2019, or I should say in 2019 and 2020. Um Strikeout specifically, uh, the strikeout rate just seems to be very uh, pedestrian. Uh, his stuff seems to have kind of stalled out from a lot of scouting reports from where it was when he was 18, 19 years old. Now he's um, entering into his 20s. And it just hasn't seen uh, any of the gains that I think a lot of people were waiting to see. He's at double A right now. It's possible that he gets promoted to triple A. I wonder if maybe... And I have to look, I think he's at around 55 innings pitch. So I doubt that he is somebody that would see any work um, in like the fall league. Cause I think he's, he's on target to finish out a full season with, with no issues. So no reason to put extra innings on the arm, but I, I just don't know what Minnesota does from here to get him to that next step and to that next level. I think he could be serviceable, but he's kind of in that bat and field mode of now you're looking at a guy who, Still can make it to the major league level in, you know, talking about real life baseball. Could he play professionally um, at the major league level? He possibly could, but the role is going to be much more diminished than I think what we thought. Again, more of a low leverage bullpen arm um, spot starter versus it being uh, a full on starting like uh, starting pitcher like we assumed or even a high leverage guy coming out of the pen, which obviously still has value to us from the, uh, fantasy perspective so Simeon Woods Simeon Woods Richardson uh is another faller for us and the third faller is, is kind of a cheat um because there's no single player but it, it's kind of a, a whole farm system or at least the pitching side and that's the Chicago White Sox pitching which they they've just not been able to nail any real pitching prospects in the last few years and when you look at who they have now there's really nobody that moves you Jared Kelly was I think supposed to be one of their next big guys and it really hasn't happened for him he's battled some injuries last year um coming into this year and there's really nobody of note um I know I pointed out Davis Martin had a really good debut out of no uh, out of nowhere he really wasn't anybody on he wasn't a person on anybody's radar but even he's kind of been shuttled up and down and really hasn't replicated the same success as he had. Um, and there's really not many, if anybody to note, I think, um, uh, Norhe Vela is the, um, closest that they have to uh, a top pitching prospect of, of any sort of note. And he's in the lower minors right now. Um, and that's, again, that's just one guy. They really don't have anybody of note. And I think for a team like that, that is in that championship window, they're looking to win the division. They're looking to be playoff contenders, uh, not having any young pitching. We've seen it from other teams that starts to bite you in the butt as guys start to age, uh, free agents start to leave. 
you're mixing and mashing your lineup to deal with injuries. So you're making some other trades um, to try to, to paper over some, some holes that you might have. And then when that championship window closes, whether you have a banner or not, you look around and, and not having any young pitching especially can hurt you because um, even if you're not developing them for yourself, having some young pitching at that high A, double A level that you can deal is a quick way to re-energize um, uh, a restructuring of your uh, roster instead of having to go through the long rebuild process of draft and develop and wait and hope and all that sort of stuff. So Chicago White Sox pitching is uh, my last uh, uh, faller that I have here simply because uh, another year has passed, another year from the pandemic. And we have yet to see, like I say, with the exception of, of maybe one player, we have yet to see anybody of note really start to bubble up in that system. So with that being said, uh, that's stock up, stock down for AO Central. We have two more divisions to do to uh, put a cap on stock up, stock down. Ideally, and I know I've been hinting at this for a while, but I'm trying to schedule out the rest of August and really the rest of September to finish out the regular season. Um, and uh, ideally, I will be having some guests, maybe some return guests, maybe some new guests on in the upcoming weeks, uh, just so you guys hear some different stories, some different perspectives, some different voices. So it's not just myself. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. Um, as far as any articles, I think it's pretty standard now that we're going to have the minor league player of the week. Um, we had uh, a break from that with the all-star break at the major league level, which kind of turned into a all-star uh, break for the minor leagues, but we're back at it for that column. Um, the farm system power rankings, uh, I mentioned, I think that's just going to be monthly just to finish up July, August and September. So it should only be three more articles to go there. Uh, the newsletter we're going to be finishing up. We got a handful to go, including the one year anniversary of inside fastball newsletter coming up in October. So that should be fun. Um, and as always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our other picture list podcasts on the picture list network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of picture list for you to find, listen and subscribe. As always, you can find me on Twitter at inside fastball, capital I capital F you can find me on Reddit, uh, mostly hanging out in Scott Shoes uh, AMAs on Fridays for uh, Pitcherless and the Fantasy Baseball Reddit. Um, and my username there would be inside of underscore fastball, all lowercase. Um, and then, of course, I'm always active on the Pitcherless Discord server. So look me up there. Um, other than that, I hope you all enjoy the rest of your day.